This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Vladimir Karamirza has been poisoned twice by the Kremlin and survived. His wife, Evgenia, is concerned they will try it again. When you are getting such special treatment from the Russian government, it means that your work is actually getting noticed. She said the Kremlin's spies are relentless. They know exactly who you are and what you do. He was only given a 15-day jail sentence for a bogus infraction, but she fears the sentence may be a lot higher. They failed in their attempts to kill him. Now they want to imprison him to keep him away from his work. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. About a week or so ago, Vladimir Karamurza, a Russian opposition politician and a journalist, was jailed in Moscow by the Kremlin on some really weird charge. His wife, Evgenia, Kara is going to explain all that in just a moment, but the bottom line on this is, this is another situation where the Kremlin appears to be looking for an excuse to put a Russian opposition politician in prison for a long period of time. Evgenia, your husband is in custody in Russia. Um, for those who aren't familiar with his history with Russia, would you tell us briefly about his encounters with the Russian government we know that there have been a couple of occasions in the past that he's actually escaped death um, at the hands of the Russian government. So tell us about his history and this situation briefly. My husband has been very outspoken against the current Russian government for many years. Well, since uh, Putin came to power, in fact. My husband has been advocating fiercely for the introduction of targeted personal sanctions about murders and thieves in the Putin regime since 2010. Uh, his uh, close colleague and friend, Boris Nemtsov, who worked with him on um, pushing uh, for the introduction of such sanctions, paid the ultimate price for this advocacy. He was killed, was shot on the Bolshoi Moskvarezky Bridge in Moscow in 2015. My husband was poisoned for the first time only a couple of months after Boris Nemtsov's murder. My husband learned how to walk again, how to hold a spoon. He took his cane and he went back to Russia. He was poisoned again in 2017 and happened again in Moscow. The same symptoms. Uh, he was again given a 5% chance of survival. He survived again against all odds. He learned to walk again. And he went back to Russia and he continued his work. Uh, since the beginning of this war, 
a little less than two months ago, my husband has been very outspoken about Putin's army's hostilities in Ukraine. He has been raising this absolute, absolutely horrific um, topic on every platform available to him all over the world. And, um, well, it seems that when you are getting such special treatment from the Russian government, it means that your work is actually getting noticed. It means that they know exactly who you are and what you do. I think they they uh, they failed uh, in their attempts to kill him. Now they want to imprison him mm -hmm. to keep him away from his work. Um, sure. So that's the story. So this latest situation seemed to be nothing that they cooked up into something to arrest him. Um, what were the, what was the circumstance for him being arrested this time? Uh, well, he was uh, in Moscow from coming from an interview with CNN uh, to his home in Moscow. He had uh, driven up to the apartment building where he lives in Moscow. Uh, he parked his car and he hadn't even had a chance to uh, get out of his car when he noticed five policemen running towards his vehicle. They asked him to come out. Uh, he asked them uh, to identify themselves. They refused to do that. They refused uh, his right, uh, denied him the right to call his attorney. They denied him his request to call his family to let us know that he was okay. He was dragged to a police van that was stationed nearby and took him to a police uh, department in Moscow, where he was held overnight without access to his attorney. His attorney was able to join him on the next morning, and then the trial took place on the same day, April the 12th. Um, since then, well, the trial only took about half an hour, 45 minutes. Everything is done um, pretty quickly in Russia nowadays. Um, in cases against opposition activists, um, it's like a very well-oiled machine that works dispensing mm -hmm. charges and sentences, and it's, it's all done very quickly. So he was sentenced and um, transferred to the detention center, um, Harashovam Novniki Detention Center in Moscow, and he's been serving his 15-day jail sentence since, um, well, since then. Yeah. So one of the things that some sources that I have spoken to have suggested is that this whole thing was cooked up to possibly try to find some other way to keep him in detention beyond this 15-day period. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Well, absolutely. It is a definite possibility because it, uh, it has happened before on numerous occasions in other cases against opposition figures in Russia. Uh, when a person would be serving a sentence, an unlawful sentence, and uh, meanwhile, charges would be piling up against this person. And um, it happened in the case of Alexei Navalny. It happened in the, in the cases of so many uh, Vladimir's friends and colleagues. Um, and in, case, in cases against uh, regular Russian citizens who want to stand up to the regime, who are prepared to do that against all odds. So it is a definite possibility. Um, we think that 
this is probably this was probably the reason why this particular article was used against him. It was a uh, um, failure to obey a police order. Uh-huh. They put uh, the official police report um, in support of this charge said that on seeing the policeman, my husband became um, behaved erratically, changed the trajectory of his movement, quickened his pace and trying and tried to flee. Well, in fact, he couldn't have done any of those things because he was sitting in his car. Yeah. And uh, uh, we think that this was probably the reason why they chose uh, this particular article, because under this article, you can get a jail sentence right away and be sent to jail, be locked up. And yes, they could be using this time to find something else uh, to throw at him before his uh, sentence is even um, over. So, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, please. Um. so, okay. so if 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 Evgenia, this is the case, what what's your next step? What's what's Mr. Katamiris's next move? Well, we're gonna con- we'll, we're gonna continue fighting. We are gonna fight as fiercely as we can for the release of my husband, as well as for the release of all prisoners of conscience in the Russian Federation since the beginning of the war. You know, even before the war, according to Russia's Memorial Human Rights Center that was shut down on the government's orders in December of last year, there were over 400 people in Russia who were serving unlawful prison sentences for their political views and religious beliefs. That was before the war broke out. Since the beginning of the war, over 15,000 people have been detained across Russia for opposing the war for saying no to Putin's atrocities in Ukraine. And hundreds of people are now serving uh, jail sentences, unlawful jail sentences, similar to my husband's. Um, For example, uh, just recently, a St. Petersburg artist, Alexandra Skochilenka, was arrested and is now facing up to 10 years in prison for switching price tags at a local store for anti-war messages. Similar actions have been carried out in other Russian cities. Um, Two people, one in Moscow and one in Ufa, were arrested for holding peaceful, silent demonstrations, solitary demonstrations, with a copy of Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace in Hands. A young girl was arrested uh, for um, going out in the streets with a blank sheet of paper, a blank one that didn't say anything. A man in Habarsk was just uh, uh, recently detained uh, for going out in the street with a slogan that said, I'm not afraid. Several people surrounded him and started chanting, we're not afraid. They were all detained and are facing uh, jail sentences or... I don't know, worse. Yeah. Um, so uh, Putin himself has publicly attacked those Russians who emigrate as a result of this war, that they're forced to flee their country uh, because they're afraid of persecutions and because they're afraid for their lives and the lives of their children. And people, Russians, who continue opposing the war, protesting against it in Russia as traitors and scum. So... 
the regime is prepared to do anything to silence these people. And those people who leave, they, um, so many of them are helping now um, in other countries like in Poland, in Germany, and um, in Hungary. They are helping with refugees, providing them with lodgings, helping in any, in any way to provide them with, with anything necessary. Um, and there, there, there have been several very important initiatives by Russian citizens organized outside of Russia, like the Free Russia Foundation, for example. Um, my, the organization I work for has been involved in evacuating uh, people from Ukraine from under the bombs. They have so far evacuated over 10,000 Ukrainians, moving them to safe places outside of Ukraine. And they have been providing humanitarian aid, uh, medical help to those people who cannot leave, who stay behind. They uh, have also been trying to evacuate um, Russians who are trying to um, flee Putin's persecutions within our country. And they have so far evacuated over um, 2,000 Russians yeah. from Russia itself. And there are other initiatives uh, like the Anti-War Committee, for example, a group of prominent Russian opposition figures, including Mikhail Khodorkovsky, um, leading um, economists Sergei Guriev and Sergei Alexashenko, uh, businessmen and philanthropists uh, Evgeny Chichvarkin and Boris Zimin, um, well-known Russian writer uh, Viktor Shenderovich, and uh, ex-world chess champion Gary Kasparov, and my husband Vladimir Kermos is one of them. They've uh, set up an anti-war committee that is now coordinating uh, several important initiatives that provide legal aid, humanitarian aid to people in Ukraine and uh, people who are forced to flee Russia. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, when we as for uh, the anti-war committee, my husband is the only person um, out of all founders who has. Um, who is still going back to Russia on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. The rest of them were um, were forced to become exiles. Um, they were forced to leave. Um, let me yeah, let me jump in here and ask a few questions. Um, is you, I'm sure have your finger on the pulse of a lot of people in Russia. Uh, and you know, Oleg Tinkov, came out today with a very strong, or at least it seemed strong, rebuke of Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine. But again, you know, he's an oligarch, he's a friend of Putin, uh, and he's been for a while. Others of Putin's friends, his oligarch friends, have said this is insanity what he's doing. And But, you know, there are those that say, and Putin and the Kremlin are saying a majority of Russians support this war. But others are telling me that that is absolutely not true. What what is the truth about who supports this war? Are there is that the majority is is the majority of Russia Russia's population in support of this war or, or not? I do not believe that the majority of the Russian population supports this war. We cannot trust opinion polls conducted in a totalitarian state. And this is what Russia has become under Vladimir Putin uh, in the last two months. He turned it from an authoritarian state 
which was already bad, into a totalitarian one. Uh, there is no freedom of speech. There is no independent judicial system. There is uh, Russians' rights are not protected in any way. And the last independent media outlet, the Echo of Moscow radio station, was closed down at the beginning of the war. So I do not believe that we can trust those opinion polls conducted by uh, what, well, obviously state pollsters in a totalitarian regime. Imagine a situation. You're living in a country that leads a war against its closest neighbor, and you know what kind of persecutions uh, you can face if you try to say anything against it. You're approached by someone in the street, and they're asking you, do you support um, our government's special operation, as they prefer to yeah. call it, in Ukraine? You know that you have older, older parents that you need to take care of. You know that you have kids that you need to provide for and you need to raise. What are you going to say? Yeah. So some people are afraid to speak up. Yeah. Some people just go by without answering the questions. Others just say in passing, yeah, I support everything. Just leave me alone. Right. And others who say that they do support the regime's, um, uh, what do they call it? Uh, oh, my God. Uh, they're, they're so trying words, to what uh, denazify Ukraine, freed yeah. of Nazis. Okay, Th yeah. those people who speak, uh, who say that they actually support um, Vladimir Putin's special operation in Ukraine. Yeah. Well, those people are deeply, deeply misinformed. They are left without access to any objective information about what is going yeah. on. Most of these people's um, main source of information is their TV set. Right. This uh, TV today in Russia has only state government controlled channels. They repeat the same message over and over again. You switch so, on one channel that, and it says that we're surrounded by enemies, that there are Nazis in Ukraine and we need to free Russian, the Russian speaking population there from the Nazis. You switch to another channel, you hear the exact same message. Okay. And this propaganda machine has been working relentlessly for over 20 years in Russia. Yeah. So now we're seeing the effects of it. So this is this is this is my question then. Some sources that I've spoken to say that a lot of people have started using another method to get their news from the outside world and 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 that is called the VPN, the virtual yeah. private network. Is that true? It is absolutely true. Since the beginning of the war, many Russians have tried to install VPN services to get access to blocked websites, blocked uh, media outlets, blocked social um, platforms like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, everything has been blocked by the Russian government since the beginning of the war. So, yes, people have been trying to gain access to those uh, blocked sources of information. The problem with VPN services, though, is that they're not free. In order to install a VPN service, you need Apple Pay. Apple Pay doesn't work in Russia anymore. So that's that's another problem. This information and uh, ways to access objective information need to be made available to the Russian population in order to spread objective information about what's happening in Ukraine. Um, okay. Of course, you know, with the younger population uh, that is tax savvier, that is more online, they find other ways. 
we are now, all of us, uh, me, even me here in the US, I've been uh, reading Telegram channels launched by so many um, Russian speaking journalists that have been labeled undesirables, foreign agents, uh, extremists, etc. They have launched their uh, Telegram channels through which they are trying to spread objective information about Putin's war in Ukraine. And uh, many Russians I know now gain uh, their information from the Telegram channels. But um, the older Russian population does not have access to any of that. They don't know what a VPN service is. They don't even know what the Telegram channel is. And they need. Uh, we need to find some ways to provide this segment of the population with objective information about what's happening in Ukraine in order to gain, um, I don't know, in order for the protest in Russia to grow. Right. So I'm going to have to end our conversation for today um, um, in a moment here, because I'm not going to take all of your time. I only asked for a few minutes, but I'm hopeful that we can engage again in the near future. But the last, the last thing I want to ask you today, Mrs. Katamurza, is how do you feel? How is your family doing? And what is it that you need for us to do here in the States and other places to help your husband's situation? Um, well, we'll keep fighting. Uh, we'll keep fighting to bring our children's dad home. And uh, we'll keep fighting to bring changes to Russia because this is our country. And my husband is a true patriot and he's never, never going to give up on his country and on the Russian people. As for um, Western leaders, Western governments and, um, and just people in the West, we want to ask you to stay true to your principles. And it, it is really tragic that it has taken, we have known who Mr. Putin is for, very, for a very long time. And we have tried, my husband has tried so hard to convince Western leaders of the true nature of Mr. Putin. It is really tragic that it took 22 years of his rule and a bloody war, a bloody unjust and unprovoked war in the middle of Europe for the rest of the world to realize who Mr. Putin is and that you cannot treat him as a partner. You cannot reset relations with him. You cannot, um, you cannot treat him as a normal partner. And so we, uh, we believe that only by pushing forward, by um, not giving in to Mr. Putin's threats, not giving in, uh, to Mr. Putin's demands. That's that's the only way to uh, make sure that this war ends sooner rather than later. And we need to remember that every day of this war means more civilian casualties, means more death in Ukraine, means more misery and pain in Russia. We need to remember that and we need to push forward so that this war ends as soon as possible. That's Evgenia Karamurza, wife of Vladimir Karamurza, who was imprisoned illegally in Russia recently. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, Ivana Klimpush-Thinsadze. She was on this program 
in 2019, and she said this. We see uh, Russian actions in the Black and Azov Seas as um, attempt for creeping annexation of the, of the territorial waters of, of Ukraine. She was a vice prime minister at the time. Right now, she's a member of parliament. And this is what she's saying about Russia's activity in Ukraine. Well, we see that uh, Russia has decided to carry out its dream to erase Ukraine from the map of the world and to ensure that Ukrainian nation and Ukrainian state do not exist. And that's uh, exactly what it is trying to do at this particular moment. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, Cobra Kai fans. Come hear what Peyton Liss has to say on Kicking It With The Coves this week. Peyton plays one of my favorite characters, Tori Nichols. Our stunt coordinators came up with a sort of training background for each character. Mm, like, that's interesting. Uh, Tori had done a little kickboxing before, so that kind of came in when I first tried to take on Miguel and why I was cocky enough to think that, you know, I could come in here and I could just make an entrance. Listen to Kicking It With The Coves now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, and wherever you can sweep your leg and get the podcasts. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.